Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV, and we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Welcome and Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2013, and we're glad to be back. And we've got many, many more exciting guests coming down the pike, uh, professional filmmakers that you are going to want to listen to all year long. And so uh, uh, we're excited to be back with you, and we're excited to have you back with us. My guest today is Mr. Reuben Whitmore II, and he's going to be uh, joining us in just a moment. I'm going to tell you about him. And uh, and and you're going to want to stay tuned. So please do. The chat room, if you're listening live, is open, and so you can join us in the chat room. The official URL for Rex Sykes Movie Beat is my name. It's Rex Sykes. I'm your host. R e x s i k e s dot com. That'll take you to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and all of these interviews are available right there live. There's a biography page, and in the biography page, my guest is the link to listen live, and or that very same link. You can listen to it archived anytime, 24-7. And so uh, we hope that you do. There's over 300 hours of professional filmmakers sharing their expertise, secrets, tips, advice, uh, golden nuggets with you so that you can advance your career and make your projects easier, faster, and less expensively. So uh, visit Rex Sykes Movie Beat at RexSykes.com. Go to the Interviews blog and uh, and then start listening. If you haven't listened uh, before, and this is your very first time, we're excited to have you. If this is the first time in the chat room, fantastic. We're, we're glad to have you as well. Um, but there's, like I said, over 300 hours to so just start and start listening because there's uh, so much incredible, valuable information right there for you. Movie Beat's really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with uh, professionals who are making it happen. Now, all of this is free to you, the listener the filmmaker, the actor, whoever you are, and the fan. And all we ask in return is that you spread the word, that you uh, share Rex Sykes Movie Beat links and, and these guest interviews uh, with your friends, your industry contacts, your connections, your filmmakers, uh, your family, whoever it might be, and you use your social favorite social media mean to do it. It can be Google+, Plus, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, what, however and whatever you do, email, but reach out and um, and grab somebody and have them listen, either live or archived. Also, please leave comments at the player before you disappear, before the show is over. Leave some comments right there about what you thought of the show, what you think of my guest, you know, any questions that you might have, any comments at all. We, we love to hear from you. And do it at the player. And also, uh, you can rate and review the podcasts, which are available at iTunes. All right. Well, without any other hesitation here, let me tell you about my guest, Mr. Reuben Whitmore II. 
he's a director and he's lectured on the media's impact on society and uh, his music video experiences at numerous universities. He's a veteran filmmaker with close to 100 film projects from documentaries to music videos. He has amassed over 15 gold, platinum, and multi-platinum plaques for producing and directing music videos and currently directs music videos under the pseudonym Alibaba. He was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and at the age of 13, he had created a bunch of video shorts in various genres, from suspense to Western and sci-fi. He's pursuing his Master's of Fine Art in Digital Cinema and a Master's in English at the National University of California. His Bachelor is in Radio TV Film from the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, where he was nominated as an outstanding young alumni and was part of the team that won the Student Academy Award during his undergraduate years. While at uh, UWO, he created their first music video television show and the second longest-running television program on Titan TV at 15 years. Ruben was recently accepted to the United Nations sanctioned Master of Arts in Media Conflict and Peace Studies program at the University of Peace in Costa Rica, and he was nominated for the Rockefeller Foundation and Ford Foundation Funded Media Arts Fellowship program through the Renew Media organization. He was led to teaching media literacy and English courses on a high school level after being selected as an Urban Education Fellow in Milwaukee, and he is in production on 420, uh, his first feature film, and is in various stages of post-production on several short films along with production of a documentary on Homeless Scholars. Uh, slated for the festival circuit, public television, and video release. He also has the movie that's debuting, a feature film called uh, Roleplay, and you can find that at roleplaythemovie.com. That's roleplaythemovie.com. But, uh, again, without any more uh, delay, let us welcome uh, Mr. Reuben Whitmore. Reuben, are you there? I am. I am, Rex. How are you tonight? I'm great, thanks. It's good to talk to you. It's good to have you on the program today. And uh, 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 happy official New Year on the show. Well, happy New Year's to you also. Happy holidays. <laughs> cool. Now, what what people may not know is that, that I know Ruben, we're friends, and I got to see part of role play the other day at a at a kind of closed you know media function. And uh, I'm very impressed and, and liked it very much. And this movie... Uh, before we get into your details and about you and your background and everything else, this movie is going to be showing in the Milwaukee area on the 19th and 20th of January at the uh, Lubar Theater at the Milwaukee Art Museum. Can you tell us more about that? Now, again, it's it's roleplaythemovie.com is the website that you can go check um, the movie out at. And, but tell us about the upcoming event, please. Oh uh, well, on. Um... We did a, a, a nice little movie that um, we felt should be premiered in the city that we made it in with the cast and crew that we made it with. So we're doing a premiere at the Milwaukee Art Museum. And on the lake, they have a wonderful theater called the Lou Bar Theater. And very stylized, very conducive to experiencing the movie, on making this, having a wonderful movie experience. So we picked that place. It's January 19th and 20th. We're doing a matinee showing at three, on uh, early evening showing at six, and then some red, a red carpet VIP type of showing on Saturday night at nine p.m. and Sunday night at nine p.m. So it's on, uh, it's six showings, two at three on Sunday, I mean Saturday and Sunday at three, Saturday and Sunday at six, and Saturday and Sunday at nine p.m. Three, six, nine p.m. Saturday, Sunday, the nineteenth, twentieth, two thousand thirteen, at the Milwaukee Art Museum, the Lubar Theater. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to be there, and I know that others will be there, and I'm excited to uh, 
to uh, to uh, be able to come and see the the movie in its entirety. So let me ask you. You know, um, you're from Milwaukee, correct? And, born and raised. Uh, what? So born and raised. I'm a product of Milwaukee. Born and raised. You went to high school and college here. I did. I went to on um, high school. I went K through 12 in Milwaukee. And middle school called Burroughs High School called Vincent on the northwest side of Milwaukee. And went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh from my undergrad. So I'm definitely born and raised product of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. But you spent a lot of time elsewhere. I mean, you Atlanta and and L.A. Can you tell us about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And when I was in my final year of college, I had an opportunity to direct a national music video on taking place in Atlanta. The location was Atlanta, so we went down to Atlanta, shot the music video, and fell in love with Atlanta because it had the balance of you know the normalcy of what I grew up with in in Milwaukee. But it also had a strong uh, entertainment industry. So spent a number of years in Atlanta, uh, making media, directing music videos, things of that sort. And then I took the next step and moved to Los Angeles. Stayed out there for a number of years, making more media, making my network and connection strong. And that uh, proved to be very beneficial to a lot of the things that I currently do. Well, you, you, you've done you've done a lot. Now you, you started. It said you know when we read your biography, people started by by making genre films as a youngster, and then that gave way to you know college and to the music videos. And what what you know? Tell me about music video. What what is the key? You know, if there, if if you had to sum it up in a in a in a few sentences, and obviously I'm going to give you much more than that. But but what's the key to making a good music video? What's it, what is it all about besides having a hit song or you know a popular song? Well, I mean the music video game has tra- changed drastically over the years. In the in the beginning or in the the peak of music videos, what made a music video lucrative was the fact that the resources that they would allot for a four minute short format. Uh, project would would allow you to shoot on film, would allow you to use high-end, top-notch equipment and crew people who would later go on and do major things uh, in in the industry. And that's the era of music videos that I was fortunate to be able to build my craft in. And music videos I always, you know, am appreciative of because because they're short format, you can experiment and experience different things that – you might not be as daring or risk-taking on a longer format. So if you want to do a genre piece in black and white or sepia and you want to see how that feels and, and, and you know, see how a stylized version of a project is, you can do that in a music video. And if you say, oops, that didn't really work that well, it's only four minutes. But imagine doing a whole feature film, 90-plus minutes, and sepia, and then you decide you don't like that style and it didn't work out. You're kind of in a different situation when it's a long format and you're taking risks. Most people don't like to take risks on feature films because there's so much time, money, and effort involved. So music videos for me was a great uh, place to just experiment with the craft of filmmaking, and I feel super fortunate to be able to have uh, traveled that journey and uh, and been involved with a great deal of the music videos that, you know, that helped shape me. How has it changed today? Is it is it that the, now it's digital and it's it's I mean what what's the difference between 
when you came up through it and and what's going on now? Wow, on uh, two huge not- two noticeable differences on uh, music videos now are the majority 99.9% I would imagine of the time shot on film on video whereas on quote unquote back in the day it was shot on film on uh, you know up until the last 4 years I could say I have shot more film over video like literally the actual can of film that goes in a film camera I shot more film as a music video product than I did shoot video up until the last couple of years. Now it's kind of balanced out for me, and I shoot way more video than I do film. But, you know, music videos now are shot on video, on, on digital formats, on, and you don't actually physically touch the film anymore. You know, you barely touch the the, the, the flash drive or the hard drive that you're using. Right. On, on Another noticeable difference is, is you know, the amount of money that they're willing to put in a music video is substantially different now than it used to be. Uh, point of reference, a low-budget music video used to be, low-budget used to be $75,000, $100,000. Now low-budget is zero to $5,000. So it's such a drastically different world between the music video heydays and where the music video is now. But that is also not a bad, bad thing because with a smaller budget comes more creative freedom. So to me, I actually think music videos creatively are stronger now than they have been because more people can do them. It makes the competition more uh, determined to, to to seek out their best image and, and make themselves look like, oh, well, I'm different than the rest of the hundreds of thousands of people doing music videos. And what you find are really creative, innovative music videos that you normally wouldn't even see the, that normally wouldn't see the light of day because maybe the the idea was too complicated and hard to understand, and it only it only could be realized at the end where somebody could say, "Oh, that's what you're trying to do," or you know, because there was hundreds of thousands of dollars riding on the music video, they would opt for the safer route. Nowadays, they're like, "Oh, well, you're willing to do it for a dollar? Oh, well, do what you want." And literally, you can do what you want. And some people who take advantage of that do incredible things. They make videos that are just like mind-blowing. You're like, wow, you you did it because you didn't have the resources out of necessity. And that makes me actually like music videos a lot nowadays, even though it's not necessarily the most lucrative business, but it's definitely a very creative one still. Wow, that's very cool. Well, it seems that a number of big directors have come out of making music videos, and uh, some people would argue that many of today's movies look a, a lot or incorporate elements because of that, you know, that, that there's, you know, a, a style or a way of cutting or, you know, a way of storytelling uh, that has emerged in, that is now current in narratives that, that has emerged through uh, the the music video. Uh, do, do you think that that's an accurate assessment that, that, that we, we, movies have somehow changed somewhat or, or are edited somehow uh, along the lines of how you would edit a good music video? Oh, absolutely. I think music videos on have helped shape the attention span of the on viewing cult, the viewing on population. So, what I've observed is on the editing and the camera style are oftentimes a reflection of the sensibility of the director. And if the director's coming from a music video background, 
his editing style might be a little bit more quick-paced, and his uh, appreciation for a stylized look uh, is probably more developed. And uh, that helps make for better feature films to a large degree. Now, you know, people would debate and argue that the directing side, which is what the storytelling, how you handle actors, how you handle the word on paper and translate it to what you're encouraging the actors to do, that may not be that may not benefit from coming from music videos. That's definitely a short format or a long short you know, short format like short films or, you know, just doing on uh, movies, doing narrative content. That benefits from actually dealing with actors and scripts. Well music videos don't often have an excessive need for spoken word actors, people who actually have to say their lines and in turn uh, convey the emotion. So, you know, it's it's a two-edged sword, but I definitely think there's some definite positive things that come out of the music video world that are now found in the feature films. And, you know, that's summed up with it's a it's it's made the editing game stronger, and it's definitely made the look of the the the, the, the feature film more stylized, which to me is is definitely a benefit. Oh, that's very cool. I, I, it's 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 an interesting area, and you know, some people. I, I did you see Hunger Games? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I when the movie opened up, I think I, I, I was more in awe of the first opening sequence, and I just started to count the number of cuts, and I think every two seconds, you know, they made a cut, and it went on for you know eighty or hundred. I don't I don't remember now what it was, but I was just like, wow. I mean, every every literally two seconds, he's he's cutting this. And uh, and for me, it was distracting. For my daughter, who's a teenager, it was awesome. Well, yeah, and I do. I think the viewers. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say. I think viewers are, are you know, an older viewer is, is. You know, I'm used to lumbering long shots and and stuff like that. And 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 today's you know younger generation. And that could be anybody under thirty or forty. I guess uh, is is more used to you know more uh, more rapid. Style or cutting on beats, you know, and eight counts and things. And go well, ahead. Yeah, Sorry. I, definitely, I definitely think there that uh, the sensibilities shift and the trends shift over the years. So, uh, <clears throat> if you're an MTV generation uh, person and you grew up on music videos, <clears throat> and they figured out how to cram a complete story in four minutes, then that translates into your attention span on long format. So I think it makes to a de- it makes sense to a degree to know your audience and, and recognize that, hey, if the majority of the people in your audience are of a certain demographic and they've grown up watching a certain style on, of, of, of media, whether it's the editing style or even whether it's they watch everything on PDAs, on small format screens versus on a big screen movie theater, then you kind of need to recognize that and and design accordingly if you have that respect for your audience and what you know their sensibilities to be. I mean, there's the the argument that I would say, well, make your art and let them adjust to it, and there's absolute truth to that, and I think some of the greatest movies are just straight artistic vision and expression with no concern for the audience. But, you know, I recognize Hollywood and most of the entertainment industry is a business, and they like to make sure that their investment returns to them and tenfold, if not more. So they want to factor in who the audience is and say, well, what is this audience 
this particular audience that we're intending this movie to be for? What do they like to watch? Oh, they like to watch music videos? Well, let's sit them in the seats and give them two minutes of, you know, high pace, high energy editing and have them appreciate on this feels like something that they're comfortable watching versus the challenges of a very slow, lumbering opening credit sequence, maybe even a one-taker where it's like, man, this is slow and it's purposeful, it means something to the bigger meaning of the movie, but you've lost your audience and now they're kind of like fidgeting in their seat and they're like, oh, I'll be right back, I need to go get some popcorn, and they never come back or they never come back in tune with the movie. And, you know, these are choices we make as directors or as filmmakers or as producers. You you have to make that choice. Are you aware of your audience or are you aware of your art and where do you meet somewhere in between? Uh, that's 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 very fascinating. Let me let me say because I mean you have a couple of movies that are uh, now uh, that you edited for Lionsgate. Can you can you tell us about those? Because I'm I'm interested. You know, you direct, you edit, you do a lot, you produce, you do a lot of different things. That and um, and uh, but but tell us about the Lionsgate movie that that you recently. Well, I, I I would I'd like to. Uh, adjust those, those titles a little bit. I direct and edit as my craft and as my, my passion. Uh, I produce out of necessity. I'm definitely a producer who produces because I want to direct and edit. Uh, and so my producing tends to be out of necessity less than, well, I just love producing. I'm not going to say I love producing. I'd love to find a producer that wants to produce uh, projects and has that tenacity and, and necessary ability to make it happen but oftentimes, if you want to make your project happen as a director, you have to produce it. So my directing and editing title, I, I wear that proudly. My producing title, I wear that with a level of reluctance just out of necessity that I have to produce. Um, but on the editing note, I've been fortunate that on a couple of the projects I've edited, feature film projects I've edited, are on seeing the, the light of day. Uh, one was re- released last month where in January one was released in December on Lionsgate. It's a comedy on a buddy comedy about these two guys who end up going down to Kentucky uh, to try to raid a marijuana field and on uh, it's kinda like a, a new version of a Cheech and Chong. On uh, so it has a, a a little bit of a of a quicker pace from the perspective that uh, it's a comedy and you know, everything has to have timing. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience to, to do that project. And then on next month, I believe, in February, I have another uh, project releasing that I edited on Lionsgate. Different genre. This one's a faith-based movie, multi-narrative, called Dreams. Um, the director actually is a faith-based director with a background in music videos and therefore this project is very stylized on all levels. Like it's 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 a pleasure to watch. It's very intricate, layered, and complicated. So you got to pay attention. But from a, from an editor's perspective, from a craftsman, it's an amazing movie. And um, our original edit was like three hours and fourteen minutes. It's been whittled down, positively whittled down to like a very manageable. I want to say hour and 58 minutes was the the new total running time that I saw at the premiere, and I'm like, wow, this thing moves very quickly, but not necessarily as an editing style, but more as a storytelling style. And 
it made for an amazing experience. Now, you know, that's definitely my opinion. I'm biased. I was the editor, and I watched it a new, uh, you know, countless amounts of time. But, but I definitely think it's one of those movies where it's different enough that it should res- resonate as original on – and it does a lot in a short period of time, and that, to me, is something to be commended in this particular case. So uh, those are the two projects that are coming out right now that I've edited on, uh, coincidentally, were on Lionsgate, unrelated to each other, like right? totally different teams brought them to Lionsgate, and Lionsgate, I guess, is acquiring a lot of uh, content, a lot of titles, so it's just coincidence, but it is something to be proud of. They're both coming out on Lionsgate. Very, very cool. Uh, I should tell the listeners that that we're going to do some other uh, conversations in the in the future. We're going to talk about editing and different things, um, and go further into depth than we will today on on some of these topics. And I, and I'm look, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but tell me now. Let's 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 get into a, a, a little bit uh, about uh, role play. And uh, this was all local cast and crew in the Milwaukee area. So can you tell? Uh, Tell me about, or tell the readers about how it, the listeners about how this has uh, uh, come about. Um, yeah, the role playing was basically a brainstorming conversation with a, a couple of um, different filmmakers. You know, one was voicing his on um, his opinion about his idea on um, in a certain in a very small circle. He was like, "Hey, I got this idea for a movie. What do you guys think?" and he started telling me the story, and I'm like, um, it's a strong enough story that if, if if you get it to script form, I'd be willing to help you see it all the way to the end. And that was kind of like the challenge that was put on the table because we all know that, <clears throat> that long format feature films, narrative format, they have a tremendous amount of, um, there's a great deal of value that should be utilized. With, what am I trying to say? There's a great deal of interest and making feature films, and a lot of times people stop on at the most important, they, they skip over the most important aspect, which is making a good quality script. And the script is the blueprint of building the, the, the film. So my my challenge to them was, yeah, this is a good conversation, this is a good story, but we need a script. If you get a script, let's talk about bringing it all the way to the end. So they fleshed out a, a, a good script. On, I had a very narrow window of time that I could, and be a part of it. So I'm like, if you get this script done by, I think it was, if you get it done by July or August, um, we can shoot it in September and October. And they got it done in July and August. And we cast it in August. And we started shooting in September 11th, actually. We shot on uh, 20-some principal days of shooting and then a couple of days of pickup on uh, and because I do have an editing background, I kind of did something slightly unorthodox. I Well, it's not really unorthodox nowadays, but I definitely was doing the assembly edit while we were still in principal shooting so that we could kind of, like, keep the process moving along. And we, we picked a hard deadline of the screening, which is January 19th and 20th, uh, as a way to make sure we stayed on task and didn't get lost in the, 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 the labyrinth of, hey, let's – Overpolish and perfect it to the point where we never show it. And on uh, we put this self-imposed deadline of January 19th out there as a screening date, so that we could take it from production all the way through, on uh, you know screening in a four to six month period. And we're on. We're we're definitely on. 
overwhelmed to say the least, but we're on schedule for the screening. It's going to be, you know, down to the wire, but everything's coming along. Right now we're in color correction, and our sound design guys are plucking away, and everything's going good. And, yep, the screening's next week, Saturday. <laughs> but it's going well. It's going fine. We're not going to film print, so I'm not excessively stressed out doing an export that allows us to do a, a Blu-ray screening of it is is not the most challenging thing. It's just, you know, it's down to the wire. And, and that's what is actually kind of exciting. It's like feature films oftentimes take years to go from concept to viewing. And um, we've taken under a year to go from concept to viewing. And I like this business model. I like this vehicle that we've created. I feel it's something that we re- can replicate and we can do numerous versions of these movies and make them satisfying for the viewer and for the business people involved. Oh, that's very cool. Um, uh, and again, to, to remind uh, listeners who may just be tuning in, uh, it is the 19th and 20th of January 2013 at the Lubar Theater at the Milwaukee Art Museum, 3, 6, and 9 p.m. Saturday and Sunday and the 9 p.m. on both evenings is uh, the red carpet event? Uh, yes, the, the red carpet event is at 9 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, correct. All right, very cool. And so people can join you there. And it is roleplaythemovie.com, roleplaythemovie.com. So go ahead and check that out. Also, you can look at uh, Ruben's website. It is uh, Whitmore, W-H-I-T-M-O-R-E-I-I. Dot com, WhitmoreII.com. All right, awesome. Very cool. Okay, so what opportunities does it present to have a, a cast and crew entirely from the Milwaukee area? How did, how did it benefit you to have everybody be all local? Well, it allowed us to um, feel comfortable in, in holding off on scenes that we didn't complete on principal shooting and schedule them for, you know, reshoots or pickup shots later dates because we knew that everybody was local. Uh, it was just exciting to work with a home team on uh, casting crew. Oftentimes when it comes to even my making of movies, you know, a lot of times we go to different markets, but we bring a lot of people from our, our own circle so that we feel comfortable. And, you know, the claim is, well, they're more qualified from someplace else. And there's some truth to that. And I've, you know, I've been a participant of that logic also, but, I was determined to utilize as much of the Milwaukee market as possible, and especially circles that don't always get an opportunity to do feature films, maybe because they do a lot of music videos, maybe because they're doing corporate or commercial work. And, you know, it's it's very rewarding to, to know that your cast and your crew and your locations and your camera support and things of that nature, that they're all coming from the area that you live in or the area that you're shooting in and that was very rewarding so we made a we made a, an entire feature film with very little help from the outside market and, and that's actually an accomplishment because we color corrected in Milwaukee on a, a, a very solid uh, system that is in Milwaukee it's a DaVinci Resolve very calibrated with Cintel on monitors you know, and these are the same ones that you would get in Chicago and in L.A. And, and like I said, my background is in film, so I've done a lot of color correction. And it, I used to struggle to, to color correct in the Midwest. It would only be uh, a handful of places like a film workers club in Chicago that you could color correct at. 
And uh, now you have, like, Independent here in Milwaukee. You have uh, the Coloring Room. <clears throat> um, and Sound Design was something that we did here. So, I mean, there's a lot of aspects of filmmaking that, you know, filmmakers understand have to take place, and oftentimes they have to go elsewhere because either they don't feel comfortable with the, the level of the, the talent or the deal that they're getting elsewhere is more lucrative and enticing than the one that they can get, you know, in the in the market that they're in. Well, it, for us, it worked out that we were able to do everything in the city of Milwaukee with a, a great network of people, and, you know, it, it makes me very excited to be able to say that. So it's a Milwaukee, made in Milwaukee product. Well, that's very cool. Now, we've talked about with the opportunity side to it. What about the challenges when you have a totally local cast and crew or uh, the challenge for filmmakers wanting to stay and work in Milwaukee? What do you, what do you, what issues well, are there? Yeah, that's a twofold situation. I mean, the challenges of shooting in Milwaukee on, you know, you have your tendencies from different experiences. So if you did a lot of filmmaking in L.A. or New York or, you know, Chicago, Atlanta, the filmmaking culture is very uh, methodical and it's just a job to a lot of people. So you don't have a lot of wiggle room for anything other than, well, how much does it pay? How many hours are you shooting? On uh, what are, you know, what are my ex- equipment expectations? Oh, okay, all right, I'm in or I'm not. Well, smaller markets or markets that are have that have a, a a newer circle of filmmakers, such as Milwaukee, the enthusiasm uh, is a large part why they get involved. But it also creates a certain bit of a challenge when it comes to the commonality of the filmmakers' lang- language or appreciation for certain aspects, whether it's on time management or how you run a production. You know, if they haven't had a great deal of on industry experiences, on feature films, on they may handle any aspect of filmmaking slightly different than if that's all they've done is worked on feature films. Now, even within the different approaches to filmmaking, like a person who's done who does primarily corporate video or <clears throat> commercials is going to handle a long format project differently. Because I almost equate it to long format projects on feel kind of like marathons. You know, you have twenty some days of shooting. It becomes a a matter of pacing yourself so that you can stay at your best throughout every day of shooting. Versus short formats like music videos, commercials, on uh, they require like a sprinter's mentality. Like, hey, I'm going to do this for twelve hours maybe two 12 hours, maybe a 16 and a 12, and, you know, I'm going to stay focused for those two days, and I'm going to give it my all, and you know what, then I could take off until the next project emerges, and then I'm going to do it all again. Well, <clears throat> we had a lot of short-format people on this project, so it was definitely a challenge for some of them to maintain the arduous task on the, of, of being in a feature film and, and the long format, you know, four or five days in a row, two or three days off, another three or four days in a row, three or four days off, and and we're still shooting 10 and 12 and some on some occasion 14-hour days. So, you know, the challenges were getting people comfortable with that pace and that need to uh, be there and, and, and focused on the entire 12-hour day, uh, but it's more than one day. And one of the other challenges is, you know, you're lacking resources, so you're you're trying to make a lot 
with very little on financial resources. So challenges become, well, where, where can we get this location from that's free? And, you know, traditionally everything in Hollywood costs money, so we didn't have that luxury. So some of the challenge, challenges were the standard, well, we don't have a lot of money, how can we make it happen? So that, that was the challenge on making the film. But in this market, one of the challenges is just networking. It's like, you know, there's only a handful of jobs. They tend to go to the same people over and over. You have to make your way into their circles and hope that they appreciate you enough to call you back. And, you know, that's a challenge for a lot of people who want to stay in Milwaukee and make a living in Milwaukee because they they need to find how to get into the, the small circles that exist. And if this is your livelihood, you know, I understand and I can, can appreciate there's a certain closed, you know, I'm only going to call the people that I want to work with who would call me so that we all can keep making money. But rest assured, there are definitely people who are just as interested in being a part of the industry and who haven't had an opportunity and, you know, they're chopping on the bits and the wings. And that's some of what I wanted to do, too, is not use the usual suspects and still make a great movie. Well, that, that I mean, that is absolutely... Uh, fascinating. I mean, I am from L.A., living in Milwaukee. It's interesting to hear your your take on it. I, I certainly uh, agree. Uh, what do you think is the um, the issue with uh, just staying in Milwaukee versus going to say L.A.? Somebody who you know, I mean, you, you mentioned some of that already, but but uh, in terms of I want to have a career here. I'm not going to go to Atlanta. I'm not going to go to New Mexico. I'm not going to go to you know California. Well, I mean, you should make content and prove that you can make something that somebody wants to spend money on. If you pull that off, then you can find more work. I mean, our industry is very much action-driven, a, door, door, a doers-type industry. If you're a filmmaker, you make films. So make films and prove to people that what you're making is worthy of either compensation or further an uh, opportunity and then you can pretty much stay wherever you want. Oh, fair enough. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Now you teach as well, and um, I'm going to have to take a break in a, in a few moments and and uh, and do a little uh, station identification. But but t- talk about uh, where where you teach and what you teach. Uh, I currently am an instructor over at the Art Institute of Wisconsin, which is in the third ward of Wisconsin. Um, third word of Wisconsin, third word of downtown Milwaukee. Um, I am a digital film instructor over there. Uh, I teach a lot of the editing classes, some audio classes. Uh, things are good. We have a thriving uh, two-year-old film school. We make a lot of content. We've re- received several awards already, like Best Editing of a, for the 48-Hour Film Festival. Some of our students got Best Editing. And we regularly are involved in the community. We like to be involved in anything that allows us to make content. So we've been asked to do everything from multi-camera shoots to narratives to commercials to documentaries. And our students come in with a very uh, intense desire to be a filmmaker. A lot of them have aspirations of being directors uh, editors, writers, and we try to nurture that and make sure they can see their dream, but we also make sure that they're prepared for the workforce. So 
we 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 kind of tout the concept that we want to make them an asset, not a liability on set when they come in. So if they're coming fresh out of school and they're not all experienced, then we want to make sure that they have enough understanding of how a set works and what the lingo is and who's involved and how to interact with the protocol is so that they are an asset, not a liability, and that somebody wants to hire them again and that we have the reputation of sending good people to work with you so that you're like, oh, well, you're from AI? You're from the Art Institute of Wisconsin? Oh, well, yeah, we we, we know that the students that are coming out of there are, are well-trained and solid, so, yep, we're down for hiring you because it is a job that a lot of people seek to be involved in, and we want to make sure our students have that opportunity. Very cool, very cool. Now, I know without mentioning the name of the project or anything like that, I also know that they did some correction or some animation or something on a project that I had produced, uh, and it ended up at the school, and, and, and you guys were fixing some of some of, or working on some of that. Um, so that's, that's, that's very cool. I mean, you guys really do a lot of different things over there. Um, I'm going to take a little break, and then we're going to come right back. Okay, so hang in there, Ruben. Hang in, my listeners. Here we go. Uh, you're listening to Rex Ike's Movie Beat. The official URL is rexsikes.com. That's my name. It's Rex Ike's. All of these interviews are, are available live and archived from the interviews blog at rexsikes.com, as well as from uh, the iTunes uh, podcast. And so please go and uh, subscribe to the podcast and download all of these to your favorite electronic device. Uh, when you listen live or archive, please leave comments uh, both during the show and at the uh, podcast site. Rate and review them. And uh, reach out and share this with anyone and everyone. You can find out more about uh, my upcoming guests by going to Facebook and going to Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook. My new website is not yet launched. I'm trying to find out from the web developer when and how soon that will be, and we'll let you know just as soon as, as that is uh, possible. But at, at the Rex Sykes Movie Beat friends page on Facebook, there are announcements to uh, who's coming up and, and what's available and about projects and casting and all sorts of stuff. So check that out. Uh, just a, a couple of people I'm going to tell you about. Paul Rackman is coming up. He's a, a music video director, short film, narrative, documentary uh, producer and director, as well as one of the co-founders of Slam Dance, and so he's coming up on the tenth, and uh, you're going to want to hear what Paul has to say. Peter Marshall is returning. We've done, been doing a director series. If you haven't heard any of the director series, uh, go check it out on on the interviews blog at at rexsykes.com and go back. Peter also had conducted a, a first AD series with me um, back at some time, so you can find those. But we're like at part number 21 now of the director series. You don't have to listen in order, but uh, it, it benefits you if you do. So if your first time listening to Peter is going to be this uh, next show, that's great. You can listen out of sequence, but uh, once you know that you can go back and listen. Then uh, Adam Levenberg was going to be our guest. Uh, he wrote a book called The Starter Screenplay. He was a Hollywood executive. He was a reader, uh, and he, he's written what I think is a very good book, a uh, common sense book, inside industry book on, um, on uh, writing your screenplay and getting it to market. Uh, also, Daniel Valley Sweet. <laughs> Sorry, Valuze. He's a producer and he owns the Melody Ranch, uh, Valuze Melody Ranch, and uh, out in Hollywood. And we've talked to him and the other. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, other uh, cast and crew members from the film Yellow Rock will be joining us as well, uh, plus a whole host of other really cool guests. So stay tuned to Rex Sykes Movie Beat and check it out um, on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, we're speaking with Ruben Whitmore, the director, editor, producer, 
educator. His website is whitmoreii.com. That's W-H-I-T-M-O-R-E-I-I.com. We're discussing uh, his filmmaking, uh, past and present, and the, the movie uh, Role Play. So roleplaythemovie.com is the website, and you can go check that out as well. And we're back with uh, Ruben. Ruben, let me ask you this question. What or is there much local financial, emotional, technical support for filmmakers here? Uh, and I know we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, the reason I ask is, 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 yes, we're speaking of Milwaukee, but this is true about a lot of different locales around the country uh, in terms of you know indie filmmakers and digital filmmakers and emerging filmmakers and even those seasoned filmmakers who are living elsewhere. So, so uh, going back just for a little bit, you know, about about this area, what, uh, how is it for you here as a filmmaker uh, versus again being in Atlanta or LA? Well, I think that if you're interested in making your own vision, like you have this desire to be a director who directs your own script, then it's going to be a challenge anywhere because most people want to uh, make content that they can see how to monetize as easy as possible. And a lot of times you have to really convince people that your script idea is so incredible that it's worthy of people investing their money. So in Milwaukee in particular, you know, you're going to struggle, as I would imagine, anywhere, but you're going to struggle with getting the financial support on at the level in which it's competitive as a living wage lifestyle. Like, you can make low-budget movies, and they're now called micro-budget uh, movies, pretty easily because the equipment, the technology is there, and people have an interest in doing the helping you see your vision. But if you were to say, hey, how many feature films, how many days of work would I have to uh, be be able to secure in order to make a living, you'd quickly find that it's a challenge to make uh, a living wage in Milwaukee if you're doing all of your movies for free for low prices. Uh, and that makes you more inclined to say, well, who's paying a fair rate? And you'll discover those are commercials, corporate video, those are the places that will pay your rate so that you can make a living, and then hopefully you can have time to pursue your passion with less concern for survival. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the emotional attachment becomes twofold. And if you're, if you're attached to seeing your create, your, what you created turn into a final project, then, you know, a lot of times you can rally the troops around you and they'll stay attached. So emotionally... It, it can be challenging, as you would imagine, but it's very rewarding because you'll find a lot of like-minded, a lot of people who are interested in being a part of the project who may not have a lot of experience or have a lot of need for it to make them a lot of money at that point uh, because that's not their day-to-day job. They they do something else probably. Uh, and technologically, man, it's such a level playing field now. There are so many quality cameras that uh, handle light in a manner that's comparable to some of the higher-end cameras, and you can make a project that looks industry standard and edit it and color correct it and and export it and output it the same way you would a higher-end project. And it doesn't have to cost seven digits. It can cost four digits, five digits. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's rewarding. And Milwaukee's definitely got a lot of those possibilities. Very, very cool. What do you? What would you like to see happen in this area and the film scene over, say, the next five years or so? 
I just want more people to do it. I want it to be a, 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 a more accurate reflection of Milwaukee. Right now, it's a small circle of people that do the majority of the work. Um, there are a lot of talented, capable people who have different voices and different experiences to bring to the table that would, in my opinion, improve the overall um, body of work that comes out of Milwaukee so I, in five years, I would hope that it becomes more of a reflection of the city and that more people who have dreams and aspirations of being involved are able to find their way into it and able to make a living off of it so that they can make this their primary focus. Oh, very cool, very cool. I, I think, you know, in having been here, I think Milwaukee has grown up quite uh, for me, having been here, Milwaukee has grown up quite a bit. I think we have uh, ways to go. And but opportunities and doors have opened up that uh, weren't available not that long ago, and and so it is. It's it's evolving and it's changing. And I've seen some incredibly wonderful work done here uh, by some um, truly truly talented artists, both in front and behind the camera. So um, you know, uh, I sure hope that as long as I am here, you know, with my children, raising my children, as long as I'm here uh, living, that I that we continue to see that, and that it becomes easier for. Uh, local filmmakers to not just because the technology is easier, but because the community supports it and because the people support it and because, you know, you're having an event coming up on the 19th and 20th. And I hope that everybody that can go will go and that, that you have an awesome amount, you know, and, and a, a, a good successful turnout uh, at each showing. Um, and that, you know, would be really cool to see uh, the Milwaukee area, and I don't just mean Milwaukee, but Wisconsin in general, with the in Chicago area, you know, the Illinois, and um, you know, really turn out and support uh, local filmmaking uh, in this way, and and as well as uh, inviting other filmmakers in from other parts of the country, you know, whether it's Atlanta or L.A. or New York or Europe or something that that we would have a burgeoning uh, active film business both in on the interior side of Wisconsin and from the outside. So uh, it's very cool. What uh, Now, you, because you teach, because you are an instructor, because you are an educator, um, let me ask you this. What do students who are coming in, and, I, and this is a loaded question in the sense that there's, you teach different topics and different kids are doing different things, or, or I shouldn't even say kids, it could be older adults as well, but people are coming in and, one might want to learn directing, one might want to learn producing, one might want to learn editing, one might want to learn animation. But what is it, what do you, as an educator, what do students seem to have the most difficulty with understanding and applying when it comes to filmmaking, um, if you were to generalize that question? Well, a great deal of the, the new students, kind of like what you alluded to, if they're younger, they have a hard time understanding how much time and dedication really has to go into it. I mean, it is not uncommon for us to shoot 12, 14, maybe even 16, 18 hours in a day. Um, it's not uncommon for me to sit at a computer and edit 8, 12, 14 hours in a day. And then you have to want to do it again the next day and the next day. And this is what you do. So I kind of like make the, the, the humorous comparison that if you can find yourself playing a video game for 13 hours and you're like, man, I started this at noon. It is now <clears throat> 1 in the morning. I haven't had any, I haven't eaten anything. I might have gone to the bathroom once. I didn't let the dog out. I didn't talk to anybody. 
everybody was like, are you okay? And I'm just sitting here at a video game, playing the video game for hours, for 13 hours. And when you're done with that and you're exhausted and you're like, man, what did I do with the day? But you look back and you're like, man, that was an awesome day. That was a good use of time. Then you might have some of the dedication necessary for filmmaking because it takes so much time and so much dedication that you'll wonder where your days went, where your weeks went. You know, people are going to say, well, you have to shoot at 5 a.m. and you're not going to be done until 7 p.m. And you're like, yeah, it's a sunrise. It's not even a sunrise shot, but it's just a we're trying to maximize our daytime shooting. Or if it is a sunrise shot, well, we need to be at location at 3 in the morning because it takes, you know, that amount of time to prep and set up. That dedication is something that never really gets fully on materialized or explored until you're deep into filmmaking it because no, most people don't, they say it's a lot of hard work and they'll tell you the hours, but you really don't get it until you get it, and that's overwhelming to a lot of people at first. Um, so students have to really want to be dedicated. It's, it's not something that you can just do nine to five. Things don't just happen in a timely, quick manner. You might believe they should, and you might have an opinion on how to make them happen in a more efficient manner, but typically, you know, shoots are time-consuming, post-production editing, sound design, <clears throat> all these things are time-consuming, and you got to be dedicated. So that's one of the biggest factors that I think students have to develop in order to be successful. <clears throat> I think that's very interesting, I, 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 and i I got to concur with you, and I would venture an opinion, and that is that because I think a lot of people who come to filmmaking, I mean, myself included, as a kid, you know, you know, when you when you get a camera and you think, oh, I'm going to go make movies, and you make them with your friends, and it's fun, and you shoot and everything else, and they may or may not be the greatest thing ever, and some kids are better than others. But the but but real filmmaking, and when I say that, I, I I don't I don't mean it in a in a better or worse sense, but the the idea of how the film industry evolved from the early days, it started as a business, not as a hobby. It started as a as a business where people were passionate about it, but they also thought sought to make money and to and maximize profits and keep costs down, and so long hours and scheduled days was a way of of spending money as best they could. And, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff about that in terms of pre-production, why you schedule and why your days are as long. But the other thing is, let's let's forget just for a second that it's, it's, there's a financial component to, you know, having a 23-day shoot or a 90-day or shoot or something like that, working from these hours and with unions and everything else. But there's also a continuity issue that's different. If If you and I make a movie and we're shooting and we can shoot over the next 14 days, that's very different than shooting over the next 14 months where you have to worry about people changing their hairstyles or gaining or losing weight or, you know, uh, you know, just matching shots that were shot a long time ago. And um, so there's a real practical side to <laughs> the long hours that we, we have in making movies. And uh, I do. I think you, you have to... You have to uh, go, this is what, I, I'm always surprised when I'm going to shoot, you know, it's 12, 15, 17 hours. I'm like, I'm like, at, you know, at the time we're wrapping, I'm like, I could go another 20 hours. But that's Absolutely. just me, you know, and my and my crew may not be, and my cast may not be. And, you know, you can see the Warren looks and everything else. And I'm like going, come on, let's, you know, uh, because I get more juice from it the closer we get. You know, and I'd rather not take the break and go home and come back the next day, but but obviously we have to. So. Well, yeah, I definitely think that also 
is on a reflection of the position you are inside the crew. Like directors, we love just shooting. Um, but imagine being the grip <clears throat> who was setting that shot, that light up for you in the mud when it was raining and cold. <laughs> and, true. You know, <clears throat> they don't they don't so they don't see any of the action. They see all of the the, the grunt work that goes into it. And for them, while they appreciate the finished product the making of it sometimes is quite challenging to the point where it is just a job, but that's not a negative statement. That's just a realization that in order for us to have the opportunity to direct these amazing scenes, somebody had to create those sets or put up those lights. And those people are like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm focused for eight hours. I'm focused for 10 hours. 12 hours probably is my max, after which my, my physical emotion, my physical and my emotional energy starts to drain, and <clears throat> they, they they are looking for their lunch at six hours, as they should. They're looking for uh, an anticipation of an accurate wrap time so that they can keep their motivation up for you. And, you know, I think that oftentimes, you know, because I, I am a director and I, I recognize that I'm like, man, yes, I can shoot all day, but I'm having the most satisfying part of this job. I'm able to see my vision come together. They're, on the other hand, are wrangling muddy cable. <laughs> and, right, right. And and it's heavy and the sea stand slammed on their finger and things that are legitimately going to wreak havoc on your morale happen. Right. You know, unexpectedly no, day in and day out. No, I, I think that's absolutely true, but I, I do think that well, what is required of people is to understand that it's a job at whatever level you're at, even if you're not being paid. I mean, in other words, if you're volunteering your time, yes, you can always choose to withdraw your, you know, your contribution. But you know, it's it's a job, and if you're there for the long haul, it would be the same as if you were putting on a roof or or working on a freeway or you know constructing a house. You know, you might be outside in elements that are less than glorious, um, but that but that is the job. But you're but you're absolutely right. Not everything is glamorous. I don't. I honestly don't think of directing as glamorous. I think, but um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, I think most of movie making, regardless of your position, is 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 can be trying. It's just it's you know it's and and tough. But it is something that that uh, gives me juice. Whether I'm pulling cables or directing, but uh, I, but I, but it is. It's truly different to be sitting around, you know, put build something, put it up, do it in the mud light, and then sit on the back of a truck or sit somewhere waiting while everybody else is doing things. So, well, I mean, a I, I, it's a good I, reason why well, there's a good reason why it was also unionized. <laughs> right, so right, absolutely. I'm not I'm not feeling that it's that direct is glamorous per se, but it's very rewarding, and we see yes, it in yes. a very our POV of, of 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 the vision is very intimate, so it's very right. satisfying to see your vision come together. Whereas, what a lot of other people who are supporting a project are doing is less clear as to the vision. So, their ability to stay engaged may wane, on depending on how efficient or inefficient the the shoot is. You know what I mean? So, so I I I always empathize with that because. You know, as a person who can suffer from attention deficit, as as hard as that may be to believe that editors can have that, but I recognize that if if it's a if it's a challenging shoot, you know, you might lose people. I, I will say sure. that I I am of the belief <clears throat> that it's not about the money that should get your dedication. 
It's about the integrity in your craft. If you're if you're there, be there. Uh, if you volunteer, you know you shouldn't give people what they pay for. You should give people your best, and that'll make somebody want to call you in the future when there is money involved. So I try to, and and that's worked for me. It's like I really like what I do. So whether I'm doing it for pay or whether I'm doing it on a volunteer basis, I'm trying to give you my best because. That's what makes it satisfying at the end. If I give you what you paid for, you're probably not going to like the work. You know what I mean? It's like if you if you're only offering me a dollar, then I'm going to give you a dollar's worth of my work. That's that's probably not going to go that far. So I encourage anybody who's in our in our industry. It's like whether you're volunteering. I mean, this is for the seasoned professional too. It's like if you're a first AC, this is what you do for a living, and for some reason you've agreed to help a friend out who says, "Hey, can you come on?" We got a camera that we're not super familiar with. I don't have any money. We're going to shoot five days. Can can uh, can you be so kind as to volunteer your time? And if you say yes as that first AC, then treat it like the big gig that it normally that you normally would be on, so that they have an experience similar to what you would hope they one day aspire to, and then. Maybe the money will catch up to it too. Versus like, well, it's a free gig, so I'm going to treat them like they don't know what they're doing or I'm going to treat it like it's a free gig. And, and it becomes a challenge for all those involved because the reason why they asked you to do it is because they knew you knew what you were doing. Therefore, give them your best. That's my, you know, pep talk. It's like give people your best regardless of whether the money's there or not. There you go. I like that very much. Now, regarding the students, what do they find the easiest to seem to get? I mean, uh, to understand about filmmaking. On... Um, they pick up the technology stuff pretty well. Like, I'm amazed at the lifelong learners that we are now developing that are willing to change with the technological trends on a regular basis. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll stick with editing for a minute. Editing software changes almost quarterly, sometimes monthly, and you have to be willing to, to, to keep up with it. Now, there are some things that you might be resistant to, like certain programs because you like your program, and, and that's understandable. But even if you're, you know, determined to stick with what you know, it's good to continuously learn. Students who are emerging into this industry now, <clears throat> they don't have that, that loyalty to certain types of equipment. They're, they're more of the belief that if it's, Editing, it's non-linear editing, so whether I edit <clears throat> on Avid, Final Cut, Final Cut 10, on Premiere, even Vegas, it's editing. So you're not going to have that excessive re- resistance that you might get from a more seasoned, experienced editor who's like, hey, I only edit on Avid. Well, it's still just non-linear editing. Get over it, move through it. Students are way more adaptable, and that to, to me is a, a significant asset for them. They're going to be able to go a lot farther because change is always happening in this industry, whether it's the newest camera, whether it's the newest editing software, whether it's lighting approaches. There used to be a time where people would frown at LED lights. Now LED lights are very much a commonplace on many sets, you know, on yeah, I mean, just the difference between the traditional video camera, film camera, and this new invention called the DSLR, which throws a lot of, you know, traditional filmmakers for a loop. But when they see you pull out a still camera, 
that actually shoots high-quality video. It throws them off. <clears throat> Students don't get thrown off by that. They get excited by that. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Well, let's turn our attention to Roleplay the Movie. And again, roleplaythemovie.com is the website. Can you tell us about it and also your plans for release? And again, it's going to be at the Lubar Theater in Milwaukee, January 19th and 20th. Shows at 3, 6, and 9 p.m. on both days. And it's Roleplay the Movie. How can people, what do people need to do in order to attend who might be listening? Uh, do they just show up? Do they, what, what do they do? What's the, what's the deal? Well, you know, of course we're wanting a nice turnout that, you know, indicates that there's an interest on the movie. We picked that theater because it's very uh, it's very comfortable and easy to get to. So the tickets are modestly priced for the 3 and 6 p.m. They're only $15. On, it's a feature-length film. It's in a good theater space. On, there's a... A cash bar, so it's it's a little it's a little bit more festive than your regular theater on uh, experience. We would love for people to come out and just come see the movie. So if you're just a movie fan, just come to the three or the six. If you're more into the pop and circumstance, the paparazzi side of it, you know, acting as if you know there is a Hollywood style scene. We have our 9 p.m. showings, which are the red carpets. You know, there's, there's swag bags and. There's a soundtrack that we did for the movie that's, you know, going to be handed out, and all the uh, cast and crew are going to be there, and their uh, their energy will be a lot more reflective of the fact that it's 9 p.m. and festive. So, you know, if you're into that kind of experience, you can buy either version. You can, you know, get your tickets online at roleplaythemovie.com. We have a, a page or a tab set up for purchasing your tickets on um, we're not sure because it is possible that it's going to sell out how we're going to do at the, on the night of if we have tickets left, but I'm sure we'll accommodate whoever comes to the door. I'm, I'm more willing to believe we, we will have tickets for the 3 and 6 o'clock, so feel free to come down the day of and purchase your you know, $15 ticket. On, but if you're interested in doing the 9 p.m. on Saturday or Sunday, you know, I would encourage you strongly to try to get your tickets in advance. There's a couple of hubs in the city that are selling them uh, and selling the tickets at their store. On um, You can find those online. I know you can buy them online. I think we're set up on Eventbrite. But um, it's, it's your standard uh, event that has, you know, some fanfare attached to it. We want people to come out and enjoy themselves, dress to, to, to reflect their desire to be seen on um, hang out with the, the crew. They're all really strong, polished comedians, and they're making a transition into acting, uh, co comedic acting. So you're not really dealing with uh, a lot of uh, excuses. It's like these are really strong actors, I mean really strong comedians who will make you laugh, and you might have already seen them on various stages across the country. They're not household name comedians yet, but they're definitely working professional comedians. Plus we have some strong actors who are in supporting roles who are known throughout the city. I mean, I can do some of the name dropping. I mean, um, Arturo uh, De La Mesa, he was just in a Milwaukee Film Festival movie called uh, No God, No Master. Uh, who else is in it? Dasha Kelly, a, a renowned national spoken word poet. She she has a significant role in the movie. The two leading actors are on uh, Terrence Kingsby, who is also known as as T Dot on his 
uh, in his his uh, stand-up comedian persona. He's a, a, a polished stand-up comedian. Once again, again, his name is on P. Dot, and his on his his real name is Terrence Kingsby. I say that because he's also a professionally trained actor. He has he's in, he's been pursuing his degree over at UWM in the theater department. So he does everything from Shakespeare to the most polished comedy skits. And he's the lead actor. Uh, the lead female is a comedian who's been quite successful over the years. Her name is Kelly Kells. She's on. She's a Milwaukee product. She travels around the country doing her stand-up show. So these are two lead actors, and they're 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 really strong. They're hilarious. They have solid timing. They have investment in the characters. So they're not trying to just be comedians and make you laugh. They're trying to be the characters. And the story itself is is a very simple to understand story. It's about a married couple who are experiencing troubles in their marriage, as often is the case. They decide to go to a marriage counselor. The marriage counselor uh, has a little bit of trickery up her sleeve in that she's almost the equivalent to the goddess of love, and, and she decides that her solution for helping the married couple to discover their love for each other is to switch their bodies and, you know, have the guy be in the girl's body for a while and the, and the, and the female be in the male's body for a while, and, and in turn they'll rediscover why they loved each other. But, of course, that leads to some very uh, humorous, hilarious experiences that happens when you're in somebody else's body and you know nothing about their, their the way they live. Um, and it requires the actors to really invest in, in being those characters because for a great deal of the movie, the guy's playing the role of a girl and the girl's playing the role of a guy. And it's funny. It's irreverent, rest assured. It's irreverent. It's not rated R-reverent, but it's definitely got some mature content. So uh, we didn't have any swear words, but we definitely had some adult moments. So is that a, is that a uh, disclaimer for kids? <laughs> well, it's, you a, know, it's, it's a disclaimer to say it's not PG to the point where you shouldn't be prepared to either have the discussion or know that the discussion of of an adult mature subject matter like it you know it focuses around the, the the male and female body and how it functions so there's there's some sexual sexuality and sexual on uh, in the windows that are explored throughout the story and that's pretty much the biggest mature content you know like i said there aren't there aren't it, it, there isn't any excessive swearing but there definitely are mature audience on uh, mature content to explore from a relationship perspective. So very cool. So it is a comedy. It features all local cast, but some of these casts are known nationally. Uh, cast members are known nationally in the uh, stand-up comedy arena and uh, local crew. So it's a uh, uh, product uh, made and entire in its entirety in Milwaukee, and it's going to be at the Milwaukee Art Museum, the Lubar Theater, January 19th and 20th, 3, 6, and 9 p.m., respectively, both days. And for information and tickets on sale, you can go to roleplaythemovie.com. That's R-O-L-E-P-L-A-Y, themovie.com. And, uh, and there will be a little button that says tickets on sale. I think you can also see the trailer uh, there as well, uh, right there on the front page. There's uh, 
StoryCast events and a, and a buy ticket link. So uh, be sure to come on out and see Role Play the Movie, directed by Ruben Whitmore II, and uh, uh, it's coming up very soon. Um, wow. We have about five minutes left. And uh, what are your plans for the movie uh, in terms of a release? Well, we have aspirations of <clears throat> doing a limited theatrical run throughout the Midwest. We've had some interest as far away as uh, New York, Harlem. Some, there's some indication that we might be able to show it at different markets. So we want to do a limited theatrical run, probably for Wallet, take it to the markets that are able to support it, uh, exhaust that, and then go and seek out our DVD on cable distribution options, which are starting to shape up already. But, you know, the whole goal is to get the movie done, show it to the hometown. You know, that's our give back. And then figure out how to turn it into uh, a viable business model so that we can do the second and third movie. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's coming along well. It's, it seems very, very satisfying at this point. Very cool, very cool. Ruben, this has been a, a, indeed a pleasure. And uh, since we do have still a few minutes left, I just want to ask, um, and you've given a lot of advice and you've given a lot of suggestions, but for closing out today and a reminder to our listeners that uh, you'll be coming back and joining us again. We'll talk about editing. We'll talk about directing more in depth. I really want to, I mean, Ruben and I uh, had uh before the show, we were talking about editing, and I said, "Oh, now this would be a great show. Let's do another one, you know, at another time." So, uh, just to know that that's coming um, down the pike, and we'll arrange that whenever we can. Uh, Ruben, uh, in, in terms of advice for filmmakers, uh, if in terms of the final uh, thought that you'd want to leave listeners with today, what um, what would you say in these last few moments? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of following your dream. I mean, I, I find so often people modify and settle for versions of life that they wish, you know, they could alter and be more reflection of their dreams. And I'm a firm believer on uh, follow your dreams. On uh, Henry Thoreau said something in the vein of confidently go in the direct, confidently go in the direction of your dreams and live the life you have always imagined. And that's a motto. I tell that to students. I tell that to my daughter. I tell that to myself regularly. I've been very fortunate to be a director and editor since coming out of college, and this is what I do, and it's largely in part that this is what I do. This is what I want to do, so I stay focused on that and try to make it make sense so that I can stay a director and an editor and uh, give back through the form of educating. And if that's your dream, then live your dream. And filmmaking for a lot of people, it's a dream, so I just encourage you to, to stand tenacious and persevere and, 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 and keep your focus on your dream, and, you know, it's very satisfying. I can genuinely say that it, it means a lot for me to be able to tell people that I live my dream. Every day I make film, and that's so satisfying, so it makes me appreciative of all the, the blessings that I've received, and I hope everybody has that opportunity. Very cool. Uh, it's very cool. Again, roleplaythemovie.com dot com and Rube and Whitmore W H I T M O R E I I dot com are the websites that I encourage you to go visit. Be sure to come on out on January nineteenth and twentieth at the Milwaukee Art Museum, the Lubar Theater, to see uh, the premiere of Roleplay cast and crew red carpet. 
uh, premiere is both Saturday and Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Other showings are at 3 and 6 on both days. And uh, ticket information and, avail- and uh, your ability to purchase tickets are online at uh, roleplaythemovie.com. And, uh, Ruben, this has been an enjoyable time for me getting to chat with you on air. We'll have you back shortly, sometime soon. Uh, we'll work out those details. Have a, I'll call you in just a few minutes, but have a great, fabulous rest of the day. And thanks so much for your thoughts and for sharing. And um, I'm going to be at uh, one of those red carpet events, probably Saturday night if I can. So if you're listening and, and we haven't met, be sure to come up and say hi if you when you when you attend the screening or the premiere. So uh, I'll look forward to that and look forward to meeting up with you then as well. So thank you. Thank you. you. I appreciate you inviting me on. It means a lot. Well, uh, I'm glad to have you. You're uh, you're an awesome filmmaker and an awesome and an awesome educator and an awesome person. So I appreciate it all the way around. So have a great rest of the day. I'll talk to you in a little bit and uh, and we'll close out the show. All right. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Uh, that is Mr. Reuben Whitmore, and again, fascinating guest, and a lot more to talk about. I really do. I, I can't wait until we get to talk about editing and uh, and other things as well. Uh, I want to thank Reuben and you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat, for being here. We've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned. And please keep sharing this website with your friends and your industry connections worldwide, and uh, and your filmmaker fans. Uh, and be sure to leave comments before you leave the player, whether you're listening live or archived. And when you listen live, you can always join us in the chat room. The chat room tends to be persnickety. I don't know what the deal is with that. People come and go, but enjoy the chat room when you can. And uh, and subscribe to the podcast from iTunes. They're all available at uh, iTunes, so when you do rate and review the podcast as well. All of these interviews can be heard live or archived from RexSykes.com interviews blog. That's RexSykes.com interviews blog. And you can follow uh, me on Twitter at RexSykesMovie.com. BT, Rex Sykes Movie BT, the last word is abbreviated, it's BT. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends, that's Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends page on Facebook, and there's a YouTube channel, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, on uh, YouTube, so uh, those are some of the uh, ways that you can uh, uh, be kept up to date, you can see different little videos and you know video interviews at Rex Sykes Movie Beat, uh, the YouTube channel. Paul Rockman co-founder of Slam Dance, the film festival, uh, which is coming up in uh, just a short while, uh, will be my next guest on the 10th, Thursday the 10th. So please help me spread that word by Twitter, by Facebook, by your favorite social media means. Uh, We're going to talk about movies, music videos, documentaries, feature films, and the festival. So be sure to uh, listen in. Uh, Peter Marshall will be coming back to talk about the director series, what what is important for directors to know. And we've covered so many things. We This is over a 20-part series. I'm so glad and so pleased that we did it because we've gone in-depth on uh, what directors need to know and do, whether they're working with actors or breaking down the script or scheduling, you know, working with the first AD and things like that. And uh, Adam Levenberg will be coming up with his uh, a book, The Starter's Screenplay. So he's going to be there. Daniel Values A and uh, the cast and crew of Yellow Rock, the movie, and so much more. And so many more are going to be joining us. So everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. And until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.